Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church. This is our Sunday school hour for the uh, last Sunday of February, February 26th of 2023. And um, we are getting to the end of the book of Haggai. And in this, we're kind of dealing with some things that are prophetic, but um, instead of spending a lot of time putting all that together, uh, I'll just say this. Uh, my understanding of this is the Lord is speaking of a time in the future when the Lord is going to reign on earth from the throne of his father David. We call that the millennial or thousand year kingdom. I believe that that is a literal event. But I would uh, rather look at this like uh, Zerubbabel would when he gets this word. See, he didn't have the book of Revelation or Ezekiel or Daniel or any of those other things to uh, reference to and cross-reference all of this. All he had was just the, the word of the Lord. And I want us to think about what the Lord was saying to him through the prophet Haggai when uh, neither one of them are going to be around for any of these prophecies. But it must have some sort of uh, relevance for their day and for their age, at least in principle, if not in the particular details of it. And I think these principles can help us as well. And so uh, thus the uh, title of the lesson, How to Face the Future. Because I think when you get down to it from Haggai's position and Zerubbabel's reception of it, this is basically telling him, calm down, chill out, God's got it in control. There's a whole lot more to come and a whole lot of things that God has promised and He is going to be faithful to do them. Relax. You can't make them happen. You can't speed them up. You can't slow them down. They're just going to happen and they'll happen in God's way and they'll happen in God's time. And I say that because we get so ramped up sometimes about what's going on in the world. And yet we need to remember and understand we were warned that in the latter days perilous times would come. So what, what do you think perilous times look like? And if we're not exactly in those times, I mean, maybe the Lord comes back 500 years from now, but we know we're getting closer to them. We're getting closer to those perilous times if we're not actually in them. We just don't fully know, do we? And yet these principles that we're going to find in this lesson today would apply to us in the same way they would to anybody who doesn't know the future but knows the Lord. And, and notice how I phrase that. We don't know the future, but we know the Lord. We don't know the future, but we know the Lord. Let that sink in and feed your spirit and to bless your heart. And so uh, our text this morning is going to be in uh, Haggai, the second chapter, verses 20 through 23 is what we're going to uh, cover today. And I'll just read the introduction, uh, at least some of it. The past and present situation concerning God's people has been addressed. And in this final message, God speaks through Haggai about the future. It is addressed to Zerubbabel, the governor. He also is a descendant of King David. And isn't it strange that he wouldn't be called at least a prince? Or maybe even that he would be installed as the king? Why is it that he was 
called a governor and why was he put into that office as a descendant of King David, the one who should be on the throne by uh, all of our human reasoning, right? Why was he a governor? Okay, number one, because Israel was a part of the Persian Empire and there was already a king there, Cyrus the Great, okay? And number two, because there was a curse put on a man named Jeconiah. Sometimes he's just simply called Coniah. And uh, this has a lot of uh, relevance to even the coming of Christ and the virgin birth of Christ. Um, the curse of Jeconiah, who was also a descendant of David, but he came generations before Zerubbabel did. He's an ancestor of Zerubbabel. And uh, let's see, in Jeremiah 22:30, thus says the Lord, write this man down as childless. Now, he wasn't childless, but he might as well have been, okay? Why? Well, this is a king who is not going to have any of his descendants on the throne. That's about the worst thing you could do. You remember King Henry VIII? I mean, how many wives did he execute and get rid of and divorce because you know, they couldn't give him an heir. And so uh, that's the way this guy is. A man who shall not succeed in his days, nor none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David uh, and ruling again in Judah. And so this particular thing, this curse of this man named Jeconiah or Coniah, depending on what translation you have and where you're reading and seeing his name referenced, same guy. This guy, it said that this descendant of David of the tribe of Judah will not have any of his descendants sitting on the throne. And Zerubbabel is one of his descendants. Well, this all fits in with prophecy because even if he wanted to, he couldn't because there's already a king in Persia and this is just carrying out the Lord's curse. Now, why does this affect the virgin birth? Well, when you read the Lord's genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, you find out that Jesus comes through that line, or through his step adopted father Joseph, comes through that line of David as well. And Jeconiah is in Joseph's bloodline, which means that because if Jesus had been a normal man with the blood of Joseph in him, he would have carried the curse of Jeconiah and been disqualified from sitting on the throne. You see what I mean? He could no more sit on the throne than Zerubbabel, his ancestor, could. That line had been cursed. Well, what's the virgin birth have to do with it? Because Jesus was not of the bloodline of Joseph, he didn't carry the physical blood and DNA of Joseph. He was human through his mother Mary's side. And he was born of a virgin without an earthly father, which means he's not really a blood descendant of Jeconiah, so he doesn't carry the curse. See how ingenious God is? And yet he's still of the seed of David. If you read in the Gospel of Luke, you see Mary's genealogy because she was a descendant of David too, but not through Jeconiah. So the Lord Jesus skips the curse by the virgin birth. That's why it was necessary. And through his mother, he is still a blood descendant of David. Just to me, interesting, interesting stuff, the way the Lord puts it all together.
And that's why, of course, those things are so very important, every detail. And so when we read our text this morning, we find what the Lord has to say and what he is saying that we can take encouragement from just as Zerubbabel could. Verse 20, And again the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. Verse 22, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, worldwide revolution in other words, and I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. And the Lord is giving a prophecy there that instead of Jews dominating the world, that Gentiles will do it, but that day is coming to an end. And when the Lord returns, He's going to rule and reign as we saw in earlier lessons there on that temple mount. And uh, guess what's going to happen? Israel is going to be the capital of the world. Jerusalem will be the capital city. And Jesus, the Jewish king, will sit on the throne. So the age of the Gentiles is going to end. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms like Persia and Babylon, who had been so much trouble to Israel. Let's go on. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And in that day, verse 23, says the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. Now, a signet ring was very important, and it was something that a lot of people used, rich people, uh, people with titles, people that had official duties, they would do that, but especially the king. And they would take that ring that had their particular emblem on the ring and they would put it in a, on an official document or letter and then they would seal it with wax. And so they'd fold it over, put the wax on it. And while the wax was still warm, they would put the imprint of their ring on it and that way it is sealed and it is also marked as official. Very important thing. It was a uh, something that they used all the time. And the Lord says, Zerubbabel, you're feeling insignificant. You're feeling like the temple that you oversaw the building of is just not anywhere near as good as what it used to be. That the nation that you are the governor over is a pretty insignificant nation occupied by Persia. And you're feeling as though your particular title is a step down. You're not a king. You're a governor you know, again, because of the curse of the Lord and because of the rulership of Cyrus. And yet the Lord said, just wait, because one of these days, you and your descendants, and I think he's making reference to Christ, are going to make a tremendous impact and you're going to be like a signet ring that has my stamp of authority and sovereignty and approval on it when your descendant, Jesus Christ, sits on the throne of Jerusalem, and all of this stuff is actually reversed. And so that's pretty amazing to think how the Lord is going to put all this together. Now, Zerubbabel can't possibly know as much as you know, 
and as much as I might know, but what would he know? Okay, how do we face the future? Same way that Zerubbabel is going to have to face the unknown that was ahead of him. How do we do that? Number one, by knowing the word of the Lord. Look at verse 21, the first part of the verse. And again, the word of the Lord came to Haggai on the 24th day of the month, saying, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying... And then he gives the prophecy. Uh, That just tells us that the only way we face the future, the only way we face the uncertainties and the unknown is to know the Word of God. Now, are we going to know everything in the Word of God? Are we going to understand everything in the Word of God? Are we going to get all of the prophecy right and have all of the details of prophecy right? No. Um, There are some things we don't fully understand, but we need to know it. And we need to know the principles that are found in the Word of God. And uh, we'll talk about those as we go uh, through this lesson. And so here's the first bullet point. And this is something that I really want to stress. You need to know the Word in order to know the God of the Word. You know, so many times people go to the scripture and when they open it up to do their reading, they immediately want to know, how does this apply to me? Well, what if it doesn't? What if it is just giving you a broad principle about something that's way off in the future, like Zerubbabel's getting, I'm going to overthrow the Gentile kingdoms. Oh, by the way, you're not going to live to see it, but uh, I am going to do it. So what does that mean to Zerubbabel? Um, nothing in particular other than the fact that it reminds him there is a God and this God is sovereign over all and this God is going to do great and wonderful things all according to his word. You see, when we look at the Bible and we look first of all to see what does it tell us about God, how does it reveal God to us, and then we can go to and what should I do with what I have learned today about the Lord, about His plan, about His commands, about His program, and um, all of that. See, go and look at God first. Now, understand this. You will not know everything about prophecy this side of heaven, but as you know the Lord, then you can rest in who He is. To know the Lord and His ways is better than knowing precisely what the future holds. Boy, you better underscore that. Some people are just nuts over prophecy because they want to know every detail and they're looking all around the world to see how many letters are in the name of the president and how many things are happening and what symbolism is there and they they just go crazy with some of it. Let me tell you something that you need to do as you study books like this that tell us about prophecy. Think about what they are telling us about the Lord. Is this going to happen? Yes. How is it going to happen? Don't know. But the Lord does. And uh, is it going to happen exactly like the Lord says? Yeah. He's got his way of carrying all of this out And he knows precisely what he's going to do. I can only speculate, and that speculation isn't very good and certainly not accurate. Well, some of it might be, but uh, a lot of it won't be. 
And uh, so we need to learn how to rest in the Lord. So if you can get it across to your class, whatever it is you're reading in the Bible, use it to get to know the Lord and to rest in the Lord because He holds the future. Okay? That'll take us to number two. How should we face the future? Understanding the power of God. We live in the kind of uh, humanity, the, uh, the thinking, that we can kind of control our own destiny and the destiny of the world. Now, if we had grown up in the time of Haggai, we wouldn't think like that. If we had grown up just maybe even a few generations back from where we are, uh, we wouldn't think like that. That is really an American way of thinking. You see, it's in America, we're told, you can be anything that you want to be. Now, that's not entirely true, because uh, maybe I want to be Superman, but I, I, I don't have the ability to do that. Maybe I want to be president, but I don't have the uh, popularity or maybe even the notoriety to do anything like that. Um, there, there are some things I can't do. I want to play NFL football, but I, I'm pretty sure by the age of 63, that's not going to happen. So that, that's not necessarily true. We kind of set up our children for failure in some ways on that. But in principle, it is true. Because back in the days before America existed, particularly our country brought this about, you lived underneath a king. You lived underneath uh, some type of an emperor or a Caesar or a czar or chief or something like that. And uh, they basically told you what you could do and what your role in the tribe or in the nation or in the culture, what it might be. That's what it was. And it also seemed that uh, during those times, you followed in your father's footsteps. You didn't break away from what the family wanted to do. You did what your father did. And the lord of the manor or the king or the master or the chief, whatever, made sure that you stayed in your place. You did what you were told and you produced what you were made to produce. And so if your father was a slave, you were a slave. And you didn't have any choice. You couldn't say, no, I think instead of a slave, I'll be a master. You couldn't do that. If your father was someone who worked with uh, metal, then your last name is probably some form of the word smith. And back in the day, a father and, uh, trained his son, and the son did what the father wanted him to do. And you were all consigned to various trades and also various classes of society. You didn't jump from being lower class to middle class. There wasn't a middle class. And you didn't jump from lower class to high class or uh, royalty or anything like that. You were whatever you were born into is where you were stuck. And uh, so when we think about those kind of things, we think about how people had to live back then. We think about what they thought and how they viewed life. And uh, here we find that the Lord is telling him that you've got my power and you've got my promise and you've got my prophecy and you've got my will and I'm not bound by time or space. I'm not bound by social mores. I'm not bound by whatever tradition says it is. I can do 
anything that I want to do, and you can do anything, listen to this, that I have ordained for you to do. You can do anything that I have ordained for you to do. And that's what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. And he was saying in context of preceding verses that he can go through any hardship, he can endure anything he has to because God gives him the power to do it because that's what he was ordained to do. Jeremiah was a prophet and in the very first chapter there, God says, I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations before you were even born. I mean, this is something that we are serving the ultimate king and we can do anything that is his will for us to do. And notice that while there are things that we say, well then, if God wants me to do this, how can I do this? That's the wrong question. God wants me to do this. How will he do this through me and in me? And so God says in uh, verse 21b, I will shake heaven and earth. Okay? Now powerful people make up Let's emphasize this like it is in the lesson. Parts of the world. Parts of the world. Even world rulers, they don't rule everything and they can't control everything. Even if someone were to rule every square inch of the world, there would be certain things out of his control, wouldn't there? Can't control the weather, can't control, you know, those type of things. But uh, yet there is one who does control every single part of the world, heaven and earth and everything that happens there because our God is more than just a powerful person who conquered. He is a powerful person who has made everything, who controls everything, who has decreed everything. And one day he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. But the point here we want to see what Haggai would have been expressing, our God is powerful enough to do something a king can't do. He's going to shake up the heavens. And so God shakes up heaven as well as earth, and he will overthrow the governments that are on the earth that no one else could dislodge or get rid of. He's going to take care of it and do it very, very quickly. And he will do things that get attention in the heavens. Now, the book of Revelation talks to us about some of the things that are going to happen in the future. And it's interesting that some of them happen in the atmosphere around the earth. In uh, chapter 6 of the book of Revelation, verse 12, And I looked when he opened a sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. See, only God can cause that. And the sun became black as sackcloth, of hair, and the moon became like blood. See, you can't do that. A king can't do that. NASA can't do that. But God certainly can. Verse 13, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Boy, that's power. And verse 15 says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves 
and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. Now maybe that's what Haggai is talking about. Kind of sounds like it, doesn't it? Whether it is specifically or not, it does show us just like in the book of Haggai, the power of a God who can do all of that. So why are we afraid of people? Why are we afraid of the future? Why are we afraid of what governments can do or can't do? And I do think that there's cause for concern. I do think that we ought to be speaking against those things. I do think we ought to stand up for what is right. But to be afraid of them? Not on your life because we have a king. Our God controls both heaven and earth in ways that they can only dream of. Okay? And so we face the future understanding the power of God. Number three, we face the future because we rest, rest in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God is not supposed to scare you. It's not supposed to make you nervous because God never does anything wrong. He does everything right. He does everything righteously. He does everything the way that he has promised in his word. And he is always good and always righteous. And he says in verse 22, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. You can't, Zerubbabel, but I can do that. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I mean, there's still more Gentile kingdoms to come. I mean, by this point, Israel has been ruled over by Babylon, Gentile, by Persia, Gentile. There's still Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire to come, Gentile. And then there are the Romans to come. There again, Gentile. So uh, God says one of these days, the powerful Gentiles, I'm going to uproot them and uh, they're going to be done away with. He said, I will overthrow the chariots. I mean, whenever the Gentile kings would come in with their armies, uh, what, are, what are the Jews going to do against the chariots, against the swords? They, in their day, that was like tanks coming in against them. And God said, don't worry about those kind of things. I'm going to overthrow them and those who ride in them. The horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of its brother of his brother. In fact, he indicates there that uh, they're going to turn on each other. And there's precedence for that in the scripture that happened from time to time. And so we need to understand the point here is that the Lord rules now, regardless of how it may seem. It may have seemed to the Jews, that remnant, where is God? Why isn't he doing anything? Why isn't he working? Well, he is. We just can't always see it, and we don't always understand it. And he will rule then as well, and no one will withstand him. No one will overthrow him or stop him. No matter what territory they rule, no matter what size their army may be, no matter how great of an artillery that they have or nuclear weapons even in our day, they're not going to be able to overthrow or stop the Lord and everything is headed toward what he has decreed. So what does tomorrow hold? I don't know, but I know this, it'll be right in line with the promises and the future that God has decreed and it's going to get us closer to the time of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 12, pretty important. 
Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, you who are far from righteousness. Boy, that's the word. Our God reigns and he will do everything that it pleases him to do. Okay? Don't be afraid of the future and don't be afraid of the sovereignty of God. Rest in the sovereignty of God. He's got it and your life all in control. Number four, how do we face the future? By waiting. I don't like to wait, do you? But that's the word, waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. Waiting for the promises to be fulfilled. Because God is actually acting like that in all of this destruction and overthrow and terror and shaking up, hey, Zerubbabel, you're going to like it. And I think he would say to us, if we're uh, afraid of this, hey, chill out and calm down. You're going to like this. This is not going to be a terror to you. This is going to be a great blessing to you. Because he says, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I'm going to take you insignificant, powerless, Zerubbabel, Yet my servant, the son of Shealtiel, says the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. You are going to be the impression that is stamped on every part of history. And um, uh, for I have chosen you, says the Lord of hosts. So Zerubbabel, this descendant of David and an ancestor of Christ, pretty important, isn't it? That's a big deal when you think about it. How privileged and honored, insignificant from the, uh, I guess, perspective of the Persians. He's a little nothing ruling over a little nothing country in a little nothing part of the world. Okay? They'd laugh at him. Let him have it. Let him do what he wants. He can't do anything anyway. They have no money, no power, nothing like that at all. They weren't afraid of a rebellion by this point. What could they do? There's just a remnant of them over in that land. Build your little stupid temple if you want to. Ha, ha, ha. No big deal. And God says, really? Just just wait. You're in the uh, divine line, the humanity of Christ. And as a signet ring, we've already talked about that, that has that engraved seal and he would put it into the wax and someone said it was used much like a signature today and um, it's not as important now as it used to be. Some people still use them. This is what um, was used all the time back then. Very, very important. At times, it also identified the official position or level of the person who wore it. In other words, this is a promotion. And this is most likely a reference to Jesus Christ conquering the earth and sitting on the throne of David. Make you a signet ring is saying this, I'm going to restore to the throne a descendant of David. And that's what the Bible really is all about. 
Kings come and go. Kings are good. Kings like Jeconiah are evil and cursed. But there's coming one day a king who is a wonderful king. In fact, Luke 1.32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Does that encourage you? It ought to. And it must have encouraged Zerubbabel just like it ought to encourage us. And so that's how we face the future, those four points, just like Zerubbabel was going to face the unknown future. So we conclude. Corey Ten Boom, a Holocaust survivor, she was uh, put into a concentration camp with her family because they were trying to save Jews in Holland during World War II. And uh, she's the only one of her family that survived. Um, she uh, had it right. Okay, here's a quote from her. Quote, If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. So what do you want? And what are you going to do? If you look around the world, you can't figure it out. And uh, you may see things in general the way they're moving and, and see what God has prophesied, but some of the specifics aren't going to make sense to you. And about the time you've got it all figured out, something happens that doesn't fit in your nice, neat little plan. I remember back in uh, 1989 when the Berlin Wall fell and the Soviet Union collapsed, there, were, uh, there was a prophecy expert that had come to the church I was going to at that time and he was all shaken up because his nice, neat little plan meant that the world was going to become communist by a takeover of the Soviet Union. Well, it didn't happen and it messed him up. Listen, we don't need to be that detailed and specific to where it shakes up our little world and our understanding. We probably don't even get close anyway. But we know that the Lord is in control. He is moving us that direction. And it's all going to be according to the promises of His Word. So if you look at the world, distress. If you look within at your own capabilities and strength and see your successes and your failures, depressed. But if you look to God, the God that revealed Himself to Zerubbabel through Haggai like this, then you will be at rest because he holds the future. He's got a plan and it's all going to come according to his will by his timing and just exactly like he wants it to happen. And you're going to be blessed by that whenever it actually comes. So don't be afraid and uh, trust the one who holds the future. And uh, thank you for tuning in today. I do pray that the Lord blesses you in every area of your life. And pray that this has encouraged you a little bit. Teachers, thank you for your time and the effort that you put into contacting your class, ministering to your class, reaching out to others, and teaching, of course, the Word of God. So we'll see you next week for a new month. And may the Lord bless you very, very richly. Thanks again for tuning in.